You can be turning in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We'll be all over the Scriptures tonight, okay? We're kind of giving an overview. And so we will get to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 in the second half. So don't be alarmed. We'll get there. We're looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. This is the final uh, message on uh, money and possessions. The last five weeks we've been looking about money and possessions, about what the, the Scriptures say, and the Scripture says a lot. I think we could go for six months or a year and still not cover everything that the Lord says about money and possessions. We're not going to. Tonight's last night. Did I hear an amen? I don't know. Um, but it's almost overwhelming how much the Bible says about money and possessions. But there are some predominant themes, and we've been looking at those over the last several weeks. The first one that we saw was that God owns it all. It's all His. Psalm 50 says, For every beast of the forest is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills, and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. God owns it all. The second thing that we saw is that we are His stewards, or if you will, we are His asset managers. He has given each to us that which He would ask us to steward, to manage. He gives each one of us what He wills and expects us to manage His wealth well. So He owns it all. We are stewards. And then last week we saw that God provides for our material needs. And He, he do, provides two elements. First of all, He provides for us in our living, our sustenance. He provides our living but he also provides for us to give away and we uh, to give to others. We saw that in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 last week. Now, I'm afraid that the church in the U.S. hasn't gotten or understood that last half very well about giving away his possessions to the needs of others. Let me give you some statistics. On average, Christians give about 2.5% of their income. During the Great Depression of the 30s, Christians gave 3.3% of their income. So as a percentage-wise, we give less than they did in the Great Depression. Of the families who make $75,000 or more in a year, only 1% tithe. Those who made $20,000 or less annually are eight times more likely to give than those who make $75,000 or more. Those who tithe make up less than 25% of the church. And finally, about four out of ten of those who are regular church attenders give nothing at all. Those are U.S. statistics uh, put out by PushPay, uh, our uh, processor, credit card processor. 
or giving donation. What is that donation processor? Somebody help me. Okay, payment processor. Thanks. I'm just your executive director. I don't know these things, right? Sorry. So as you can tell, now, I don't know what our statistics are. I don't think they're that low. Uh, you all are very faithful in giving. But as a whole, in, in the U.S., we're not very healthy when it comes to giving uh, to the work of the Lord. All is not well in the church in regard to our understanding how the gospel affects our attitude toward giving. So tonight, I just want to share some thoughts about how the gospel affects our giving. We'll be looking at giving in the Old Testament. We'll be looking at giving in the New Testament. And then some characteristics of a gospel-oriented giver. So first of all, giving in the Old Testament. There are two types of giving we see in the Old Testament. But they're by far the predominant uh, type of giving is the tithe. And most of us probably, if you've been around the church at all, you recognize that term. The tithe literally means a tenth. So you can't tithe 5% or you can't tithe 20% because it just doesn't work out that way. It, a tithe means a tenth, okay? That was uh, the predominant giving vehicle or giving amount in the Old Testament. It's interesting that we see tithing in the pre-Mosaic law era. Before the Mosaic law came out, we saw tithing. We see it with Abraham, you know, the, the one who was the father of Israel. The oldest reference to tithing in the Bible is Abraham uh, found in Genesis 14 when he gave a tithe of the spoils of war to a mysterious figure called Melchizedek. Now, we don't see any command for Abraham to have done that, but he did it from a heart of gratitude toward God for giving him a great victory in war. So that was the very first time we see the term tithe. We see it also in Genesis 28 with Jacob. Jacob had a dream at Bethel, if you'll remember, where God promised to be with him and and to give him a great land and many possessions and descendants. And in response to God's promise to him, Jacob vows to give a tithe of all that which the Lord gives to him. Now, Jacob recognizes that everything that he gets in the days to come is really God's. And whatever he gives to him, uh, gives to Jacob, is a gift from him. He's not giving something that he worked for. He recognizes that God has promised to bless him. And he says, whatever you give me, well, the first tenth is yours. Okay? So those were two examples of the tithe before Mosaic Law. But it really came into its own with Moses and the Mosaic Law. It was made a part of the law. In Leviticus chapter 27, we read all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. All the tithe of the herds and flocks, every tenth animal that passes under the herdsman's staff, shall be holy to the Lord. So Moses wrote into the law, directed by God, about tithing. As we examine the Old Testament, we find that there are really three different tithes for 
the Old Testament, uh, the Israelites of the Old Testament. The first one had to do with a religious tithe. It was the tithe to uh, support the priests and the Levites. The second was the first fruit tithe, and that the people brought in the first produce of their harvest. Uh, it it resi- uh, resembles Jacob's tithe, showing great gratitude toward God for providing the harvest. The third tithe that they gave in Old Testament Israel was the tithe to orphans, widows, and the poor. The religious tithe was 10%. The first fruit tithe was 10%. But the orphans, widows, and poor only happened every third year. So if you annualize that out, that's a 23% giving that God had directed the Old Testament Israelites to give. It's interesting as you read about the Old Testament, uh, the tithe in the Old Testament, you recognize that the Hebrew people knew that the tithe was God's. It wasn't theirs. They did not give a tithe, as we might say it in our New Testament era. No, they repaid the tithe. It was God's. The tithe for Old Testament Israel was not optional, not any more than taxes are for us. They knew that the tithe belonged to the Lord. And to not tithe was to rob God. So when you look at Old Testament Israelites, the the predominant thing we see in terms of giving of their money and possessions was the tithe. But there also was a free offering uh, tithe, a voluntary offering, where the tithe is recognized as God's, never spoken of as an option, the free will offering was completely optional. It was always optional. Uh, it would always go beyond the tithe, but it was, you are free to give as you so desire. We see it several different times in Exodus 36, when Moses built the tabernacle. They, he took a free will offering of the gold and stuff uh, to build the tabernacle. They gave, it's funny, the Israelites gave so much that he had to tell them, stop, don't give anymore. We got enough. Stop. Since when have you heard preachers say that, huh? Uh, you're supposed to laugh, okay? I can't see your faces. I hope you are, right? Okay, so Moses said, uh, the tabernacle said, that's enough. But that was a free will offering. In First Chronicles 29, uh, in the building of the temple, David gave the people an opportunity to give toward the temple. And then in Ezra 1, when the temple needed to be rebuilt, well, then they took free will offerings for that. It was totally of people's free will. Uh, it wasn't demanded at all. So, summarize. Old Testament, Israel tithes because God told them to. It was not optional. But they also voluntarily gave free will offerings over and above their tithes. Let's move on to giving in the New Testament. The New Testament is pretty quiet, frankly, in regard to tithe. Jesus mentioned it once, kind of in passing. If you remember in uh, Matthew 23, verse 23, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint, dill, and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting 
the others. So he almost uses the tithe as an example of, boy, you're really good about uh, legalistically following the tithe, but you don't even give yourself to faith, justice, and uh, mercy. So it wasn't about tithe at all. That's when Jesus mentioned it. How many times do you think Paul mentioned the tithe? Zero. It's kind of surprised me a little bit, frankly, So I started looking at it. Paul doesn't mention it at all. So where does that leave us? Should you tithe? Should I tithe? There are a lot of different opinions on what is required of the Christian's duty in regard to tithing. Simply because there's so little in the New Testament about it, I'm going to give you an opinion tonight. You know very well that I don't like to give opinions from the pulpit. I just want to say, thus saith the Lord, and, and go with it. But I'm going to give you an opinion because it says so little about it. You know that I hate legalism. I hate it with a passion. You know that Jesus kept the law, the, law, the whole law, perfectly on our behalf. I'm no longer under the law, but I am under grace. We are not called, as you know, to not uh, keep the moral law of God and the Ten Commandments. It's a character of God. You know, it's, it's not good to neglect that. But I still find a hard, ca- a hard time making a case that the tithe was even a part of the moral law of the Ten Commandments. I just don't see it there. So I am not going to tell you that tithing is law for the Christian. That is a tough sell. However, we are never told in the New Testament that tithing was discarded. I mean, we were just not told. We're not, it doesn't say anything about it. As best I can tell, in the last 2,000 years of church history, it was expected as a requirement for Christian living. But here's when my, new, my opinion comes in. Right? For the New Testament Christian, the follower of Jesus, the very question, do I have to tithe, seems like the wrong question. Do I have to tithe is not a very good question in my opinion. I think a better question for the New Testament believer is how much of God's money do I need to keep for my own needs? That's a better question. How much money do I need to keep for my own needs? See, I'm just not comfortable telling you that a tithe is expected of you or I'm just as uncomfortable by saying, of saying that the tithe is all that is expected of you. I don't know. That's between you and the Lord. I don't know your situation. I don't know what God is requiring of you. Asking the question, do I have to tithe, doesn't seem to capture the sense of giving I find in the New Testament. 
can I really say that we who have experienced grace, grace found in the coming of the Messiah, that I should give no more than the Old Testament Israelite who is required by law to give when they only had the promise of the Messiah? Can I say that my sense of, of gratitude toward the Lord is less because I'm looking back on the cross than those who were looking forward to the cross? Personally, this is Steve now, okay? Personally, I'm not troubled by worrying if the tithe is in effect. I'm a lot more worried and concerned that I limit my giving to 10%. That concerns me more than do I have to give a tithe. Everything I have is His. Everything. From last week's passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, perhaps God limits how much He gives me to steward because I don't give more. So that I can give away more. Do you see the difference? So again, maybe the question is not, should I tithe? But how much of God's money shall I keep for my own needs? If God promises to supply my needs and multiply His provision in relation to how much I give away, the question then is not, can I afford to tithe? But the real question then becomes, can I justify a lifestyle that consumes 90% of my income? That's where I'm wrestling. You get 30 minutes of it, I wrestle with it all week, okay? Can I justify my lifestyle when the needs are so great? Let me give you five characteristics of a gospel-oriented giver. Five characteristics. Now's when we get to 2 Corinthians, okay? The first characteristic of a gospel-oriented giver is that they give sacrificially. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, we have the example of the Macedonians. Verse 1, We want you to know, brothers, Paul is writing to the Corinthians, encouraging them to give, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. Now, Giving in the New Testament church was seen as a gift of grace from God. We get to give as an offering back to Him. The Macedonians were given great grace to give generously and sacrificially, Paul writes. They were poor. For Paul to say they experienced extreme poverty means they were really poor. So much so that it would seem, if you read between the lines, that Paul 
almost give them, gave them a bye, saying, you know, you guys are suffering here. You don't have to contribute to the saints in Jerusalem. They're no more poor than you are. That's reading between the lines, okay? But he seems to say that. But the Macedonian church says, no, Paul, don't rob us of the joy and of the, of the blessing that, that we are going to receive by sharing with the saints in Jerusalem. Don't take that joy away from us. And so Paul says they gave beyond their means. Their attitude, I think, goes to the heart of what it means to give as a gospel-oriented follower of Jesus. It's not sacrificial giving until it's a sacrifice. Perhaps giving sacrificially means that we push our giving beyond the point that the figures add up. I love what C.S. Lewis wrote in regard to this. He said, I do not believe one can settle how much we ought to give. I am afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. So, gospel-oriented giving is sacrificially. Secondly, sacrificial giving uh, or uh, gospel-oriented giving is done willingly. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. You really do have to make up your own mind what God wants you to give. How much you'll give. And then trust Him for your needs. I'm not going to make that call for you. I'm not going to let you check off that box. You've got to decide for that. But if you are reluctant to give, or if somehow you feel like I'm pressuring you to give, you need to check out your heart because I'm not doing that tonight. Why do I not want to give? What is going on in my heart that makes me unwilling to give? That's the issue. Do I trust God to provide for my needs? Can you for a moment see the Macedonians talking about whether or not they have to tithe? Can you see that even being a conversation? They are giving because they want to give for the joy of giving. But nobody is saying, yeah, well, i got to check that box. No. It's not gospel-oriented giving. There's a story told about trappers in Africa that were hunting monkeys or trapping monkeys. And so what they did, they would take a bottle with a narrow neck and they would secure it to the ground. But in that bottle, they would put their fame, uh, uh, the monkey's favorite nuts inside that bottle. And so the monkey would come along and they would reach down into the bottle and grab those nuts. And when they tried to pull their hands out, they couldn't. Because, you know, they went in like this and they're coming out like this with a fist closed. And they would not let go of the nuts. And so then the hunters would just come, or the trappers would just come along and, and grab the monkeys. You know, that, it just reminds me how many times that we can be enslaved to buy money because of our unwillingness to let go of our money and possessions. We can be enslaved because of our reluctance to let go of them. 
So we have gospel-oriented givers are give sacrificially and willfully, but third, cheerfully. Again, 2 Corinthians 9, 7, each one must give as he had decided in his heart, for God loves a cheerful giver. You delight your Father when you give to others. He takes great delight in you. What great uh, a, what a great privilege we have that's provided for us to trust Him to continue to provide for our needs. Fourthly, the gospel-oriented giver gives proportionately. Your level of prosperity has nothing to do with joyful giving. I don't care how much you have. I just don't. The Macedonians didn't have a lot to give. They joyfully gave it. Do you remember the widow in Luke chapter 21? Had two little coins. She made it into the Scriptures. Jesus said, she is the one who is pleasing. They didn't have a lot. But they gave. So, proportionately. And finally, consistently. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2. On the first day of the week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. Plan your giving. Let it be the first thing you do when you do your budget. Give systematically. I think there's a place for spontaneous giving. I think it doesn't take the place of consistent giving. Okay? Gospel-oriented giving is an expression, my friend, of what's going on right here. What's going on right here? Giving is the response of the heart that is full of gratitude for grace that has been given to you. We give because God gave so much for us. He gave His Son. Gospel-oriented giving helps me not take His generosity for granted. It reminds me again and again. Gratitude is the fuel that drives our giving. So what do you want me to do, Steve? I'm glad you asked. First, examine your attitude toward money and possessions. And this is overall. Just examine, what is my attitude? What is my heart when I think about that? Do you understand that God owns it all and that I'm His asset manager? Has that truth been driven down into your heart? Secondly, examine your giving levels and your attitude toward giving. Do I give sacrificially and willfully and cheerfully and proportionately and consistently? Let me encourage you that money does not just indicate where your heart is, and it does. It determines where your heart goes. Not only where it is, but where it goes. If you've been around me very much, one of my mantras is that emotion follows motion. Activity first and let your emotions catch up. Motion is, in a train analogy, motion is the engine and our emotions are the caboose. The caboose will go where the engine uh, will follow where the engine goes. 
So what does that have to do with money? It means that you take action. You give more than you can afford and you see what God does and you see where your heart goes. Your heart will go where your treasure dwells, Jesus said. Where do you give, Steve? Where do I give? Where do you want me to give? Well, I think the Bible specifically names three different places. Let me give them to you quickly. First of all, we give to the poor. We find that here in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. They are taking up an offering for the poor in the Jerusalem church. Some of the places we give is, is City of Hope. Uh, Ethos supports as a church through your offerings. We, uh, City of Hope is uh, ministry to the homeless. Many of us give from our congregation directly uh, to City of Hope. Uh, we have a mercy team. Or we had a mercy team. We have a mercy fund. We're kind of in a in-between stage. We want to start that back up soon where we give benevolence, uh, especially to those inside the church uh, that need it. Uh, the second area where we give uh, from Scripture is to missionaries. We see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Ethos gives 10% of everything that comes in away uh, to missionary endeavors. We support church planting efforts. We support RUF, our college ministries. We support the Terrazzos in Spain. Our own, excuse me, our own members here, uh, Ben and Elizabeth, Elizabeth Ledford, uh, Shelly Jones, you heard from Shelly and Sarah. Uh, we support directly uh, from the church and many of you support them directly as well. So we support missionaries, the poor missionaries, and then ministers. First Timothy chapter 5, verse 18 says those who proclaim the gospel should be able to earn their living. So when you give to Ethos, well then you fund church ministries, and a part of that is just providing for your staff and, and for your pastors. So uh, those are three biblical places that you can decide where you want to give. But as I close out five weeks of, of talking about money and possessions, let me just suggest one more time that giving is a heart issue. It's not a law issue. It's a heart issue. Where is my heart? Am I storing up treasures in heaven? Or storing up here where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. My friend, God wants your heart. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. It's not about money to him. He wants your heart. And where your money goes, your heart will follow. Let's pray.